Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. September. It'll be busy, but it'll be good. Amen. Acts chapter number two. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 40. We will finish out finally chapter two here this evening. The Bible says, and with many other words, did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. They gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were gathered and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they... Continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. A few weeks ago, we spoke about beginning or begin the journey. Tonight, I would like to talk to us about continue the journey. Amen. We've begun it. Let's continue the journey. Lord Jesus, I come to you this evening asking, oh, Lord Jesus, for your help, Lord, in this Bible study here tonight. God, we're thankful for those, Lord, who have come, Lord Jesus, here to worship and magnify your name and sit around, Lord Jesus, the centerpiece, Lord Jesus, of your book, the Bible and your words. God, to receive instruction, guidance, reproof, Lord Jesus, rebuke, Lord, doctrine, long-suffering. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, your word is good for that, Lord, and we accept it into our lives, God, for those reasons and purposes in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen the church say amen amen you may be seated when we ended a few weeks ago I made the statement that uh, we witness a lot of people that get their start their start or their beginning in the book of Acts amen as we read through the pages it's left and right as it would seem people are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost being baptized in Jesus' name, repenting of their sins, and they're getting their start in what to them is a new life or a new journey for them. But also throughout the epistles, we see others that are uh, receiving some starts, but more so the epistles do a concentration upon the continuation of their journey. Uh, After getting their birth certificate born again of the water and the spirit, there's still yet much to to be learned, much to uh, come about and acquire in our walk and our relationship with God. And so the epistles many times is about the continuation of that journey. Amen. And as a matter of fact, before the second book of Acts, before chapter 2 even closes, Luke gives us some insight that we'll look at here this evening, some insight about necessary items for continuing on our journey. We tip our hats, amen, to Peter with the answer on how to begin, but we are maybe even just as much, if not more, in debt to him on telling us how we might continue on this journey. 
that we started. First of all, we must realize that from verse number 40 that Luke gave us a summation of Peter's words that he spoke on that day because the Bible says, and with many other words did Peter testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. In other words, everything that we read in chapter 2 wasn't everything, amen, that Peter said. He said that and more. Peter had that to say and more to us on that day. And so Peter not only gave them a message and answered their initial questions, but evidently, according to the scripture, he testified and exhorted with many other words. Brother McGee, what are those words? I can't tell you the totality of those words, but we do have a sliver, if you will, of those other words that he spoke to us in the closing of chapter 2. And we read in Scripture, this, this is very evident, we read in Scripture that if salvation, and we know this to be true from other Scriptures outside of the book of Acts, if salvation is God's doings, God's action, God's sa saving us, amen, because we were obedient to the plan that he gave us, if that is God's doing, salvation is, then saving ourselves, as Peter says in verse 40, must just be nothing more but a continued obedience to the Spirit of God that we have initially accepted or received, rather, in our lives. The Bible says in Acts 5 and verse 32, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given. Everybody say past tense. God hath given, speaking of the Holy Ghost, past tense, to them that obey. Everybody say obey. Everybody say present tense. To them that obey him. In other words, God hath given the Holy Ghost, hath given, past tense, to them that are obeying and continuing to obey Him. It's not that we obeyed Him in a moment of time in the past, repented of our sins, got baptized in Jesus' name, filled the Holy Ghost obedience. Obedience did not stop the day after we received salvation. But He gave them, past tense, the Holy Ghost, to them who obey and are continuing, present tense, ongoing tense, continuing to obey Him. Amen. The Bible says, save ourselves or save yourselves from this untoward generation. And saving ourselves from this untoward generation is just another way that we mature and grow up after salvation. Amen. Here is the, the crux of the matter. I know that it took Calvary, the cross, his blood, his name, all those things, him raising from the dead in order to save us. But that does not leave us without some responsibility after salvation ourselves. Amen. That does not leave us without responsibility because whenever we were obedient to the gospel message, yes, we received the divine power of God from on high and he came up resident in our life. But in order for that to continue, we are responsible to continue into some things. We, there is further obedience that's required. There's further obedience that's necessary Amen. And with that being said, notice he said, save yourselves. Well, I thought I was already saved when I repented and got baptized and received the Holy Ghost. You were. But as we said many times a long time ago, salvation is elastic word. You were saved and every day you're continuing to be saved. 
You're continuing to be saved. And so after we've been regenerated by his spirit, we got to, everybody say I do. We got to take the initiative to break off some old allegiances. That's how we are included in the equation of saving ourselves. We got to break off some of the old allegiances because it could be if we keep those ties that we may fall back into the old way of life that we knew prior to our salvation. Amen. And so it's important. So, so Peter doesn't just leave them saved. He says, let's, let's be responsible now for the salvation that we received and how we order our steps and walk the path now that we have salvation. Because we're not living unto ourselves. We are living unto the spirit that we have subjected our lives to, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the cry was from Peter, save yourselves. Peter wanted the people to know the 3,000, the 3,120 of that day, he wanted them to know that they must become participators in this thing. He said, you all got to become participators in this thing. You're going to become a responsible party for a lot of this journey that lies beyond the day of your salvation. Save yourselves. Because listen, if a person claims to be saved, but lives in persistent, know ye not your own selves, except ye be reprobate. Because a reprobate is a person, they have no feeling, they're past feeling, they have no basis, they have, they have no way of measuring themselves or understanding any wrong or incongruence. He said, so if you're not a reprobate, then you need to know yourself about where you fall concerning your relationship with God. And notice, he said, the responsibility is the one that has the salvation. You examine yourself. Now, undoubtedly, when we come to the house of God through the preaching of God's word, hopefully through the practice of the preached word of God, it's going to prompt something in us to say, mm, off a little, unlevel a little. Uh, through the teaching of God's word, through our own personal daily devotion of reading God's word, it's going to be checking us, but we must take time to examine ourselves and do not fall prey to examining everybody else. Let me tell you, we have a full-time job. Everybody say, I do. We have a full-time job examining ourselves without trying to examine everybody else. Someone say amen. The Bible lets us know in verse 41, look now. The Bible says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. What verse 41, that phrase there lets us know is this. And that is, we will not act upon a word we do not gladly receive. Someone hear me? Is that still up there? It says, then they gladly received his, his word were baptized. We will, we will not act upon a word we do not gladly receive. With that today, I had an aha moment. You've heard of those? I had one today whenever I read that. Aha moment because I think there's a principle right there in that verse that, that can solve some of the confusion uh, in churches across America because people oftentimes wonder why don't so and so do such and such? You're in the church, they're part of the church supposed to have salvation. Why don't so and so do such and such? And I've even heard it sometimes, they've heard it preached. And taught a thousand times. 
Why don't so-and-so do such and such? As a pastor, sometimes I've scratched my head even with that question. Why doesn't this happen? I know I've preached it. I know I've taught it. I know they've been here for several of the services in which I've preached and taught it. Why doesn't that happen? I believe the answer is the principle that is relayed in this verse. If they've not acted upon the word, perhaps it's, not, perhaps it's because they've not gladly received the word. Listen now. The word gladly in the Greek means with pleasure, and it's from a verb that means to desire. In other words, the scripture here then is saying, then they that desired his word received his word. Or were baptized. They acted upon it. So with pleasure. So I, I've come to understanding today through scripture. The Bible says they received it. In the Greek, that means to take fully or to welcome it. Amen. And so here's the thing. If you don't gladly receive it, if you don't gladly receive it, then you're probably not going to act upon it. So the crux of the problem then that we question sometimes is not have they heard it or not. Do they understand it or not? Were they there whenever it was preached or taught or not? Really, the problem right, relies right here. They've not gladly received the word. They don't desire that. They don't desire that. They don't want to receive that. They've heard it, but they've not received it, nor do they desire it. Because the Bible says they that gladly received the word, they were baptized. They, they acted upon what the word had said, what the, wor the word that they had heard, they acted upon it. Evidently because they received it, they desired it, and they wanted to take it fully and welcome it in their life. Now, 3,000 souls, the Bible says, was added to the church here. And we're given a prescription here concerning these 3,000 souls. We're given a prescription for how the 3,000 souls were added, how they continued. And we're given a prescription in what these 3,000 souls continued. The Bible tells us in verse 42 how these 3,000 souls continued is that they did it steadfastly. They did it steadfastly. Now, here's the meaning of steadfastly. It's really, it really deep in the Greek. Continually. They continued continually. Now, that's, that, that seems like, you know, saying something twice. Well, maybe it perhaps is. But they continued, and they did not stop continuing. But what were they continually continuing in? The Bible says, it lays it out before us, the apostles' doctrine. 3,000, not just started, that wasn't just their, their springboard, but that's what, what they continued in, the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship and in breaking of bread, which I believe you could couple together. Fellowship and breaking of bread. And thirdly, in prayers. They continued in prayers. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But doesn't that make good sense? That if this thing blew open... As it would seem while they were waiting and tarrying seven to ten days in prayer. That it's going to continue. Being prayerful. And being mindful of the Lord. But they continued steadfastly continuing in the apostles 
doctrine. If I could go to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, and this is, this is a scripture that I know I've shared with you before, and it's one of those episodes where the Apostle Paul is speaking here, but he uses the pronoun we because he is encompassing all the other apostles with him. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 1, he says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, the apostles do, me and my colleagues have this ministry. As we have received a mercy, we faint not, but have renounced. We have this ministry. Let me tell you what we're against. We renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Amen. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 5. Look, the apostle says, we the apostles that have this ministry, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. The Bible says those 3,000, 3,120 continued in the apostles' doctrine. We know by this scripture that that wasn't a man-made doctrine. That was not a man-contrived doctrine. That was not a doctrine that the 12 got together and they made up policy and the articles of faith of their own ingenuity and put together and said, follow this. No, they said plainly, we preach not ourselves. This is not something that is the devisement of our own thinking. But we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. The very same thing we preached on the day that you received your salvation is the very same thing that you need to live by to continue in your salvation. It is the apostles' doctrine. Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, you know where the breakdown goes in other society today is that there are people that has absolutely received the Holy Ghost in places that don't preach the apostles doctrine. And they are frustrated with life because they're trying to have the spirit of God, but live their life without the apostles doctrine, the same apostles doctrine that brought salvation to them. We see the apostles' doctrine that we see preached in Acts is also preached in the epistles, and it is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. I'm going to share these with you until they get in your spirit someday, and you're going to say, I know where he's going because I've heard him go these paths a thousand times. I want to become ruts in your life. Paul is saying, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Paul says we got to pay attention to the teaching and the preaching we've heard. Lest preadventure they slip from us or we let go of them. He says, For the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience receive a just recompense of reward here's what he's saying he said the angels spoke things and if the angels spoke something and someone did something against what the angels said they were held accountable for it he said how then shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. In other words, he says, if we're going to be held accountable by the words of angels, certainly we're going to be held accountable by the words of Christ himself. And we know what he said because the apostles spoke those words and confirmed them to you and I. Amen. 
He says if we can be held accountable by the words of angels, we're going to be held accountable by the words of Christ Jesus himself. And so the message spoken by the apostles was nothing more but the message of Christ that they were sharing with other people. So the apostles' doctrine is Jesus' doctrine confirmed to those that heard the apostles preach and teach. Mm -hmm. And the good thing for us, we have a lot of recording of their preaching and teaching, and so they're still preaching and teaching to us when we open up this holy book, John even told us, John told us, he said, Whosoever transgresseth, he said, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. That's what he said. That is very important to me then that I must continue in the apostles' doctrine which is nothing more but the retelling of the doctrine of Christ himself. And if I transgress against it and abide not in it, I don't have God. So it's important to continue. It's important to continue. Continuing in the apostles' doctrine is a means that will help save us from our untoward generation. That we're living in. Because every generation has a, a segment, if not a large segment of society that is untoward, unbecoming. Amen. Diabolical to what he lays down as the requisites, amen, to enter into his kingdom. Now notice, you'll deal with people. People will tell you, well, say, no, you, you know, you're brainwashed and all that stuff. All that doctrine that your church teaches which we teach and we just teach the apostles doctrine which is Christ's doctrine we try not to throw no new curveball or anything in there we just stay true to this book right here people say well the doctrine doesn't matter doctrine doesn't matter people that tell you that doctrine doesn't matter are lying to you now listen to me and the fact of the matter is this whether you are in what I call the Bible the truth or whether you leave the faith, your life is subjected to some type of doctrine. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 and 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrine does matter and if you say you don't have to have doctrine you've already subjected yourself to a doctrine and it's the doctrine of so don't tell me well doctrine's not for me brother McGee I don't have to live under the bondage and, and the rulership of doctrine let me tell you if you're not under the doctrine of truth you're already under another doctrine you can't go through this life without being under the authority of a doctrine I'm just telling you tonight your life will be blessed your walk will be blessed if you abide under the doctrine of the apostles doctrine Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone I don't want to open my life to the doctrines of demons and devils but I do want to open my life to the doctrine of truth. Because when you abandon the 
apostles doctrine and you refuse to accept it you will open your life to receive a doctrine of devils the apostle Paul gave a strong admonition to Timothy he told him he said preach the word exhort with doctrine he says 2 Timothy 4 2 Timothy now 2 Timothy 4 1 and 2 notice the charge here this is a strong charge by the Apostle Paul. And I think he wanted young Timothy to understand the severity, the importance, the weightiness of what he was telling him. He says, I charge, now imagine hearing this. I charge thee, you know, just steal eyes, look at it. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He didn't say preach the word and tell enough stories that you can incite the people, keep their attention something that they can relate to and feel good about themselves. That is not what, that is not what the apostle said. But he said, if you got to go on and reprove, if you got to rebuke, if you got to exhort, my goodness, that sounds a little hard. Yeah, but we're on a journey here that is not yet completed. And in order to continue, I need doctrine. Yes, I'm going to do it with love. Yes, I'm going to do it with mercy. Yes, we're going to do it with grace. But we're going to do it. Because we got to continue on this journey. This was so important that Paul says, not only should you preach this word and this doctrine, but Timothy, he says, whenever you go to Ephesus and you're the pastor there at Ephesus, he says, I want you to find some men because we need some reproductive, reproductive teaching that's going on. In other words, you don't need to be the only one teaching this. You, you need to somehow keep this message intact and keep it alive. He told him in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, amen. I'm not talking about a ballerina either. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, the Bible says, and the things that thou hast heard of me. Timothy, the things you have heard of me among many witnesses. The same. Wow, there's a lot of meaning just in those two words. The same. He said, what you heard from me, the same commit. He says, you commit thou to what? Faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He says, I'm teaching you something. I'm teaching you the doctrines of the church. I'm teaching you how to be saved and how to walk after you've been saved. I'm teaching you the apostles' doctrine. He said, but you give this to other men, but let there not be anything fall away in the transference. Let it be the same. Uh-huh. Oh, why, why would he say that? i tell you why he said that. Because you can trace other generations back from other people and other assemblies and other churches and what they have today is not the same as what they had four generations ago or five generations ago. And let me tell you, the teaching is vastly different than what they had five generations ago. What happened? Men, yes, they passed something on, but they passed something on that was lacking. They passed something on that was anemic. They passed something off that was weary. It was not the same. That might have been the problem or it could have been it been committed to unfaithful men. 
It's either a breakdown and it not being the same message or it was committed to flimsy hands. I hate to tell you today, there is a lot of fumbling. They talk about fumbling the ball, amen, and football and somehow double dribbling. and bet. There's a lot of fumbling going on in pulpits. People that were accounted and had the title of pastor and high potentate and whatever else you want to put on them, amen, supposed to be sound and resolute and steadfast. And the message, the true unadulterated message has fell in the hands of flimsy hands, unfaithful men, and they have tainted the apostles' talk. It should not be so. So you give it to them that they be able to teach others also. Why, Paul? Because generations are going to need to know how to continue in this thing. And the message needs to stay pure. And the message needs to stay intact. And it needs to stay alive in its original form. For them to be successful as their forefathers before them. Bible says in that verse 43 that many many wonders and signs were done by the apostles I submit to you this being in accordance with scripture that these wonders and these signs were nothing more but the outworkings or the result of the preached word Christ told them Prior to ascension in Mark 16, 20, the Bible says, and they went forth, speaking of the disciples, and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. God would give confirmation to his word by allowing a sign or a miracle to manifest itself. When I read wonders and signs that the apostles did in Acts 2, I believe it is nothing more but a result of a preached, pure, true, honorable word of doctrine. Amen. And then, look at verse 43. There's another vital component that's mentioned here that is many times a missing aspect Today, and fear came upon every soul. Now, we're not talking about this knee knocking, oh, it's God type of fear. Fear here in the Greek means awe or awareness. There was an awe that came upon every soul there was an awareness that came on every soul our continued journey after receiving the Holy Ghost needs to be accomplished with an awareness of God I'm sorry it just so happened like this <laughs> That's simply stated. But it's a component missing today. People have lost their all. They have lost their awareness of God. 
How do you say so, Brother McGee? Because multiples depart from the way. Multiples forsake the faith. A lot of people do stupid things because they've lost their awareness of God. Listen to me. And just because a person may become insensitive and desensitized to God does not mean that his eyes still don't roam to and fro over all the earth beholding the evil and the good. What's the big deal? Well, a continued journey needs the fear of the Lord. It needs the awareness of the Lord. Why? Because when we lose an awareness of God, we'll start acting like he isn't around. Well, why, why would you say then that society today has lost awareness or even Christian church people have lost awareness because I see a lot of people doing stuff as though he's not even around or doesn't have even knowledge of it or recognition of it. He hasn't seen it or heard it. People are acting like God doesn't have any senses. But he sees and he knows and he hears. Someone say amen. Some of us acting like a bunch of kids. Uh-huh. Like a bunch of misbehaving kids. That when the parents are away, the kids are going to play. Huh? Mom and dad is absent so I can maybe get by with half murder of the first degree. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I can get by with some, some things because mom and dad are around. Listen to you. God is not your parent that's leaving you, so to speak, and has no knowledge of what's going on in your life. Amen. Although you may not perceptibly see him or you don't necessarily feel him, he still knows exactly where you're at, what you're up to, and what you're involving yourself in. And in order to continue on this journey, that awareness needs to be in the forefront of our mind. we got to stop and wait a minute. Hold on. God sees. God knows. God. Yes. Amen. Continuing, though, another thing that they continued steadfastly in was fellowship. And I'm coupling these two together. Fellowship and in breaking of bread. Fellowship and in breaking of bread. Fellowship is more than just being together. Amen. Absolutely. More than just being together. Two people and be in the same space and not even give recognition to one another, talk to one another. Just being together doesn't constitute fellowship. The Bible says that the word fellowship, the, the, the meaning of fellowship, it carries the meaning of having in common. Having in common. And so fellowship and breaking the bread seems to go together here because the ancient Jewish meal was normally always begun with breaking bread. Breaking bread. And we know, even still today, a primary means of fellowship was sharing a meal together. <laughs> Amen. And the fellowship just all had to do with meals. We got that kick, don't we? <laughs> Praise God, some more than others. Sharing a meal together. Even throughout the scripture, it's evident. Times of fellowship centered around the table or sharing a meal together. However, breaking bread could go even a little further in a different route more than just sharing a meal together since that's the way that the ancient Jewish mealtime was normally opened by breaking bread but breaking bread may have also referred to the Lord's Supper or communion 
communion in which one considers the cross and the blood and the body that hung on the cross which is undoubtedly a symbol of our unity amen communion because whenever we even practice communion around here it's not just having communion with God but we have communion with one another I've taught on this and at this just recently here uh, at our general ministry conference in our meeting we we took communion in our meeting this has happened more than one occasion whenever we've been in meetings uh, that we, we took a communion together in our meeting and and and, and pastor pastor carpenter was was uh, officiating uh, this act and and we were taking communion together in our meeting and he said something that stuck stuck with me and he said brethren we, we were taking we were taking the bread amen uh, being symbolic of his body and we were taking uh, the fruit of the vine, amen, symbolical of, amen, his blood. And while we were doing that, uh, Pastor Carpenter said, he said, whenever each of us, he said, have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with each other. He says, because we cannot at this moment in time, the moment that we are practicing this, he said, we all have the same taste in our mouths. And so as we fellowship with him, that brings us in fellowship and concert with one another. With that being said, we cannot separate fellowship with the head of the church, all right, which is Christ, without fellowshipping with his body. Man by the name of Steve Cole, he said this concerning that. He said, We cannot be devoted to the head who is Christ. And at the same time, cut ourselves off from the body, his church. He said that would be like a young man saying to his date, I like your face, but your body is gross. Did anybody get that? <laughs> That'd be like going up to Grace Alex and saying, oh, you got a beautiful face. Oh, but your body, God help us all. Amen. He's saying if you're going to have fellowship with the head, he said then you're going to have fellowship and unity with the body. Right here, you and I. You and I. Perhaps the reason why John said, how can we say we love not our brother who we have seen and yet love God who we have not seen? There's several one another passages in the Bible that promote fellowship. If you allow me just to go through a few and I'm just going to use phrases from the scriptures and I'm not going to tell you where they are we could but that will just save me a little bit more time here the Bible some of the one another passages in the Bible that promote fellowship are this he says after he washes disciples feet he said ye also ought to wash one another's feet perhaps the one that is used most even in New Testament scripture is that ye love one another he said be kindly affectioned one to another he said, in honor, preferring one another. He said, receive ye one another. He said, admonish one another. Salute one another. Greet ye one another. He said, by love, serve one another. He said, bear ye one another's burdens. He said, forbearing one another in love. Forgiving one another. Comfort one another. Edify. Build up one another exhort 
one another daily. There's plenty of one another scriptures that tell us the codependency that each of us have upon the other. And he's telling us if you are in Acts, if we want to continue in this journey, huh? If we're going to continue in this journey, we're going to have to learn how to love one another, edify one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. God knows that's right. Prefer, right? So if we're going to continue on this journey, we're going to have to learn some one another qualities that's a two-way street between each of us. For as a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse number 24, and it says, and let us, everybody say us, us. consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In verse 25 that we oftentimes go to, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. We gotta come together in order to provoke each other to love and to good works. We gotta come together. We gotta have fellowship. And fellowship normally promotes unity. Again, it's not just coming together, but having something in common. The Bible says in verse 44 of Acts 2, all that believed were together and, you see, it made a distinction. Not, it wasn't simply they were together and had all things in common. The same word used right there in the Greek is the same word used for fellowship just a little earlier. Things in common, fellowship, exact same word. So they, they came together, but not just togetherness. That don't just constitute fellowship, but they had all things in common. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes, and this isn't the only place, but also in Acts number 11, amen, and other places of Scripture, Barnabas even uh, sowed some of his goods and, and, and gave some money, and we see Ananias and Sapphira in their pitfall of lying to the Holy Ghost about what they were going to give of what they had sowed, but there was a consciousness of each other, there was a consciousness of each other that one man's abundance became and provided for the lack of another. Amen. There was, a, there was a unity. That wasn't something that was mandatory, but it was done voluntarily. But if a man seemed that he had in, in excess and his brother lacked, he would help offset the lack of his brother. And that's because of the unity of the fellowship. They were constantly together. And folks, there is something, listen to me, there is something special that happens in our services when there is unified fellowship among the body, among the brethren. Even David in the Psalms described magnifying the Lord and exalting his name as a group activity. He said in Psalms 34 and 3, Psalms 34 and 3, Oh, magnify the Lord, David says, with me and let us exalt his name together. So David's saying, magnifying the Lord and exalting his name is a group activity. come together at services time for that exact reason of magnifying and exalting it should not be a lone ranger doing it but it should be us because David says that's group activity that's where we join in fellowship and have something in common whenever we come together we all going to magnify him that produces fellowship that produces unity when we all going to come together and exalt his name we have that in common that produces a fellowship and a unity 
Thus, the Bible also says, Psalms 133, it's a very well-known uh, chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalms, or chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalms 133 and verse 1 and 2. Here is another perk that happens from the unity and from the fellowship. The Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. Now look, the first thing in this chapter, you can read chapter 3 as well, uh, the unity is compared to something else. But firstly, the first thing that the unity of the brethren is compared to is the holy anointing oil that would be placed upon the high priest's head. All right? It's the holy anointing oil. But, but more particularly, it's not just the holy anointing oil. It's the, 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 the unity is not just compared to the holy anointing oil that's sitting in a flask or a jar or a barrel. All right? Or a horn somewhere. But it's the oil that is anointing the high priest. If I can say it like this, the unity is compared to the oil that is anointing the spokesperson for God's people. Listen to me. Something special happens in services continuing on our journey when fellowship happens and unity happens as a result of that fellowship having something in common. I'll say it like this just for our modern day terms. Your pastor gets anointed when people in the congregation fellowship and come together with commonality. He didn't just say it was like the holy anointing oil sitting over there. He says it's like the holy anointing oil that's being used to anoint the high priest at that time. Unity is just like whenever the priest is getting anointed. And whenever we get unified in the church in this day and hour, continuing on our journey, and we find a place of commonality and magnifying and exalting the name of the Lord, you'll see the oil of the Lord fall down upon this old man's head whenever I start to preach and teach in God. He'll anoint the spokesperson for the people when we come together in fellowship of unity. I'm telling you the truth. A unified church, one in one mind and one accord, can impact the anointing of the pastor because it's like the holy anointing oil that was placed on the head of Aaron, the high priest. Another thing that we mentioned earlier, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. We, we will get done here maybe within the next five to seven minutes. Another thing to continue, after our journey has started at Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, along with the breaking of bread, but also in prayers. In prayers. And as I said, if this, if this sprung board us, if this got them started, then for sure it's going to keep them going. And here, let's just pull, pull the wool off of our eyes. And we think sometimes, mind the world, why is it such a difficulty to keep a steady prayer life? Why is it such a difficulty to keep a steady prayer life? Well, I think two, chapter 2 here gives us some insight. Prayers is one of those things after salvation. Very plain and simple tonight, folks. Here is the, the, the whole moral of the story. If God wants you to do it, then be sure the devil's going to try to convince you otherwise. That's it. 
I mean, that's, that is a broad brush, but I think we need to paint with it tonight. If God says this is what I want you to do, then that's what the devil's going to tell you you don't need to do. And so here we need to get very wise concerning his tactics. If the devil's telling you you don't need to pray, it's no use in praying, then you better get to praying because he's just hitting the live nerve that God wants you to do. If there's things in your life that he's saying you're never going to accomplish or you're never going to do, I would put that at the top of my list that with God's help I'm going to pull through and I'm going to do because it must be meaningful to the master if it's meaningful to my adversary. Yes. 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 It's going to help me continue on this journey called Christianhood. I'm not dwelling much here because when we started this whole series, I, I went almost by chapter by chapter telling you all the different places that prayers were made in the book of Acts time and time again and places were shaken and the Holy Ghost fell, praying down by the river and all these different instances where prayers were made and it having a big impact on the early church. There will be no less impact on the church of this hour if we go back to the practices of prayer. Note the Bible says two different episodes there. Things that they had done. Verse 46, they continued daily. The Bible said, the Bible said verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily. There were some items these new converts did daily. I know we have some weekly routines, but we need to have some daily ones too. And I realized they went to the temple daily many times because there were hours of prayer at the temple, and that's where they went to pray. I know we show up here, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and that's nice weekly routines, but we need to have daily prayer times if we're not here at the church. And they're, they're, they're yeah. There, there's some things that we need daily in our life as well. When you read throughout the book of Acts, you can, you can read. So here in, in, in Acts 2, that they, the Bible says that they, 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 they met daily, it seems like, in these formative uh, days after their salvation. In, in Acts 6 and 1, it spoke, spoke about them caring for the Grecians. It was a daily care. They, they cared for people on a daily means. In Acts 16, the Bible talks about how the number increased daily of the church. The Bible speaks in, in chapter 17 concerning those of Berea who were known as the Bereans that they searched the scriptures daily. There's some things in order to continue on this journey that we need to practice daily. Weekly ain't going to do. Monthly doesn't do. Annual a little far reaching there need to be incorporated daily. Now, here's something that's amazing to me. This is our church. You know maybe a little bit of the personality or the culture of our church, and every church has its own personality. Every church has its own culture. I'm here to tell you by experience. Not, this is not a theory, all right? Every church has a personality. Every church has a culture. And every church is subjected to different surroundings and, and different environments. It doesn't take you very long if you start reading in Revelations 2 through 3, uh, chapters 2 and 3, you start reading about the seven churches of age. And as you read through them, you're reading about their setting. They're in different environments and they're in different surroundings. And it seems as though they have their own personality and culture. But that being so, however varied they may be, the pattern for each should be the basic principles that are relayed right here in Acts chapter 2. 
the basic principles of in order to continue, regardless what the personality of your church is, what the culture of your church is, or what the environment or surroundings of your church is, the basic principles are the same. In order to continue, you got to be steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking bread, and in prayer. No exception. No exception. Bible says this, I'm coming to a close, Brother Mason, if you'll please come. That last phrase, verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. If you'll stand with me. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Bishop, I looked at this, I read this, I've heard this preached on numerous times in my life. I read it very slowly today. I pondered on it, meditated about it. I read what other people had to say about it, and I thought on it some more. I look at this a few different ways. Some people, there's a little controversy over such as should be saved. Some believe that the Greek is that we're being saved. In other words, the Lord added to the church those that were being saved. That were being saved. That's what some said. So therefore, he added to the church every day because he was saving every day. Another way you could concern this is that the Lord adds to the literal body of Christ, the church. Save people. Adds to the church, save people from their sin, but no doubt still in need of some type of sanctification because every day there needs to be a saving, if you will, of ourselves that will ultimately result in the saving of us on rapture day if they just continue. So, save people, no doubt, they need to be added to the church so that they can grow. Amen. You need added save people because whenever we are members in particular the book of Corinthians says whether we're the toe or the hand or this or that so these members need added to a body in order to grow because apart from the body they're going to die so they need added to the body in order to grow but this this is what struck me and I I'm standing out among here all the commentators and all that but sometimes you got to do that because I know what God just kind of pressed on my spirit just a little bit and I'm just going to read it right here in our English translation as it is. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I read that, Brother Zach McGee, and I felt God impressed on me. And then I went and read everybody else's stuff. And Sometimes we don't always correlate. But I know what the Spirit just kind of pushed on me in a moment. When I read this, this is what the Lord caused my mind to think because the Lord added to the church those that should be saved, not that were saved or in the process of being saved. That the Lord places people, if I can just get local here, the Lord places people in our church daily, day by day, people that need salvation. It's almost like an entrusting of the master with people to our church so that they will be saved by the local and through the local assembly. It's like, what I'm saying is it's like I take Joe Blow out here in the community and I add him to this church to sit on a pew, to participate in services, to hear the apostolic doctrine that's preached there, 
to hear the prayers that rupture from a prayer room there, to feel the connection of the fellowship there so that Joe Blow that came in that was unsaved, I added him to this church so that he will be saved. Oh, what God has entrusted the church with to entrust people that should be saved into our hands because evidently he has confidence in the church that he's built and he's ordered. And he knows my church was born with a spirit of fire, but I've also left them with instruction on how to continue being the church. And if they do that, I can entrust them with people that should be saved. Who knows? Who knows? So with that being said, I think it behooves us to consider when a new face walks in the door, this is something that's God placed in the church, our church, that should be saved. Not a whimsical passerby, but this is somebody God has brought here for the purpose of salvation coming to their house. You've got to continue, continue on the journey here tonight. If we can bow our heads all across this building, Father. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.